Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Paul Leslie Hour, and welcome to it. The Corporate Jet, a smooth, classy, sophisticated ride to the perfect finish. Ah, how nice that would be. If you possess a millionaire's taste but lack the assets, perhaps you'll prefer a smooth, classy, sophisticated ride on the vocal wings of Brigitte Jarry. The timeless style of Brigitte's sound is evocative of the classic jazz era, but is blessedly placed in our day with a flawless fit. Brigitte positively purrs her own jazz anthems with a certain authority and power that escapes simple description. Her writing is on par with those wonderful, timeless tones. Honest, charming, memorable. We wouldn't have expected anything else from greatness. So strap into your seats for a talk with Brigitte Jarry as she takes us on a singer-songwriter's flight through memories, notions, and conversation non-stop to great enjoyment. Just wanted to acknowledge that introduction was written by Mr. Daniel Buckner, and we thank you, Dan, for contributing. Speaking of contributing, did you know that the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by viewers and listeners like you? It is true. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. Check it out. Pull the lever. And we thank you in advance for your contribution. And now we present Paul Leslie's interview with Brigitte Zari. We're speaking with Brigitte Zari. She's a singer, songwriter, and recording artist. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Paul. I think most stories are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Wild. Lots of noise. And because I'm from Canada, cold. <laughs> Where in Canada? Toronto. And tell us a little bit about your parents. What kind of people? What was the environment? I'd love to tell you about my parents. They're the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, actually. It just seems like yesterday, but it's going on three years now. I just lost my mom. I keep saying just because I'll never get used to it. But my mother was extremely instrumental in my music and my singing, my writing. She would encourage. She noticed I had some talent when I was younger and because I you know, would sing all over the house. And she would encourage me to continue to pursue the talent that she discovered. And she was also a singer. She would sing, you know, when we would have parties. My mother would sing, and my father would play the lud. It's a Moroccan instrument. My parents are from Casablanca. And my father was a multi-instrumentalist. He was a sax player, a self-taught keyboard player, a self-taught... So it was a huge, huge part of my life. I mean, they, they really instilled the music in, into my soul. It's really interesting, the fact of, of about the origins of Morocco. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Now, did you hear traditional Moroccan music? I did, on? my whole life. Yes, I did. I heard Moroccan music. They were from Casablanca, so it had a fringe of French influences, a tinge of much French. What am I talking about? Huge Moroccan artists 
like, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Um Kaltum. I have not. She was, she is, I mean, she's not with us anymore, but a world-famous singer, and she would be forever playing in our home. My mother would always have her on when she was cooking and cleaning and stuff like that. Extremely passionate, soulful singer. And then there was a French singer called Enrico Macias, who was somebody I also grew up with and was one of my first concert experiences that my parents took me to in Toronto growing up. He was He's very, very famous, Parisian, French, Moroccan singer. So the music was, the culture was everywhere also. And then the jazz came in from um, my siblings. My brother was a big jazz guy, fan, and he would always have Stan Getz on playing when I was little. So that was my first introduction to jazz, actually. Interesting. So tell me, you just mentioned your brother with Stan Getz. You've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of these international artists. Mm-hmm. What music would you say has made the biggest impression on you? I'd say Stan Getz. I'd say that first introduction to Stan Getz when I was really little. And it's odd because I'm a vocalist, right? But yeah, that was my really first big, huge influence was Stan Getz. The Girl from Ipanema, that whole Stan Getz album, the Girl from Ipanema album, and Tom Jobim. So I would say that was my first. And then, you know what? Let me also add Frank Sinatra, of course. I used to listen to Strangers in the Night. <laughs> ah. Such a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to Strangers in the Night, and I would listen to I've Got You Under My Skin. And I was so in love with Frank Sinatra's voice. I was so in love with his, his charisma, and his tone. I wasn't your average kid. I wasn't listening to pop music of what every local kid was listening to. I wasn't really into that. I was into, the, uh, into Sinatra and Stan Getz and, and that kind of thing. I wanted to ask you specifically about Frank Sinatra. When I was listening to recordings of you singing, I thought this woman was influenced in part, at least, by Sinatra. That was my guess. And then, really? Yeah, I really did. And, you know, most people would think, well, she's a female vocalist. Why would you think that? But that's what I thought. I it's thought, not the first time I've heard that. Well, it's a compliment, I think. <laughs> I think it's massive. Any time a vocalist says, you know, you sound like you were influenced by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> yeah. So I googled Brigitte Sari and Frank Sinatra and I, I saw you being interviewed at a celebration of Sinatra's birthday. So given that this is this year will be a 100 years of Sinatra on this earth, yeah. I wanted to get your opinion. What is it that makes the Sinatra magic? Because you just said you were a lover of his music. If you could put it, you in know, words. obviously I'm not alone. Okay, obviously the whole world adores him, or great part of the world adores him. But you know, he just—you know—some people are chosen. I think he was chosen to do his job, which was to entertain millions and millions of people and leave a mark on all of us. And I think he was just a tremendous teacher. I think he was a master teacher. There's teachers in class with 20 kids, and there's teachers of the world. And he was definitely a grandmaster teacher, and he taught me more probably than some of my teachers in school. He's had, I think, that kind of influence on the masses. There are just some really, really magical teachers that affect us as students, and we remember them. And I think that's what he was, a fantastic teacher slash entertainer. I think entertainer is is almost... It's, it's, I don't know. I think he was a, a teacher, a wonderful teacher, Dish. obviously an entertainer. Oh, 
So in addition to the artists you've mentioned and Sinatra, what mm -hmm. vocalists would you say have influenced you the most? You know what, really, I have to say Sinatra is really up there. He just had a tone that was so magical and would translate and would reach a part of your soul that it's just like really, really rare, even in today's world. It's affecting even, you know, kids growing up today, his voice. But so I would say Sinatra, I would say definitely Nat King Cole, just the most, the smoothest, most romantic tone. Billie Holiday, obviously, her pain really, really affects and I, I, I can relate to in her voice, in her, in her singing, in her approach. So many. Ella Fitzgerald with the melodic, gorgeous harmony in her voice. Just this, you know, I consider Ella Fitzgerald a happy voice. She's just, you know, the second you hear her, you're in a good mood. Even before she sings that much of a, of the song, she just has the way she translates, the way she emotes, the way she is just happy. So everybody has a feeling that they instill in you. Frank Sinatra, to me, is also happy. Ella Fitzgerald is a happy voice. Billie Holiday's, if you want to bawl your eyes out and relate to any kind of thing she's going through, and all of us could at one point in our lives, I'm sure, as women or whatever, even men. Elvis Presley, massive influence, believe it or not. Just massive influence. I adore Elvis Presley. Um Kultum, because I remember her when she sings. I think about my family and my memories growing up. And Mahalia Jackson, have you heard of her? Oh, yeah. The New Orleans, oh. great, great Oh, song. my God. Oh, my God. Talk about pouring your heart out in a song and being able to reach your soul. She can certainly do that. So she was a massive influence. And I love gospel. So, And the list is, you know, it's endless, really. But I'd say those are my top. The other thing about our special guest, Brigitte Zari, is that she's also a songwriter. Tell us, what are some of your great songwriting influences? Oh, boy. Cole Porter, Mercer, um, Shakespeare. <laughs> Just I love the fact that, I mean, you mentioned that I'm a songwriter. I actually consider myself more of a songwriter than a singer, if you can believe that. Interesting. Yeah, because to me, songwriting is like praying, Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a spiritual experience to me. If I ever have a problem, or if I ever have something I need to communicate with, I would sing it in a song. The song and the, the lyrics and the melody usually come out together, so it's almost like my version of praying, or my way of praying to God, or to whoever, the universe. Yeah, Johnny Cash, obviously, great songwriter, huge influence on me. Dolly Parton, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Hank Williams. Just endless. It's such an interesting, diverse list. I mean, I think... Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Van Morrison, Willie Nelson. But, you know, from my jazz songwriting, I would say Cole Porter and Mercer and Neil Hefty. When did you begin writing songs? The second I opened my voice. They came hand in hand, came together. Anytime I had a feeling about anything, I could hang up the phone from you and think about what we've just discussed and think about it out loud, but it'll come out in a song, you know? Yeah. Michael Franks is also a huge influence, Nina Simone. I mean, I've been writing songs since I was little. I had an experience where a memory that is imprinted in my brain, stamped in my brain, and where uh, I was uh, about 
five years old and I was at a desk and my brother came in, the brother, the, the uh, Dan Getz brother. <laughs> <laughs> and he came in and he asked me what I was doing and I looked at him and I had a pad and a paper, paper and a pen. And I turned around and I said, what do you think I'm doing? I'm writing a song. So it's kind of odd because I, I wasn't even like able to talk that much yet. So it's almost like I felt, I feel that sometimes we're destined to do something and I guess that it's my destiny. I could see that. Are you more moved by lyrics or the melody in music? Well, since I write my own or from other people? Well, I mean, just in general, I guess. Like, what what tends to move you more? What affects you emotionally more? Is it is it the words or is it the sound that you're hearing? It's the melody. The melody. Yeah, it's the melody, for sure. It's the melody. When I lay out the story and it's done and it's recorded and then I listen to it, I'm like, wow, that was good. Sometimes I cry after I listen to it because I think what I was going through really sucked. Sometimes I'll laugh because I'll think, wow, that was a really happy moment for me. Like happiest day of my life. Slightly, a, I don't know. It's not one of my greatest songwriting experiences. It's just kind of like a tongue-in-cheek happy. I was going through a happy moment and I just, you know, wanted to share it with, in music and but it was a happy moment. You'll notice most of my songs are not really uh, on the happy side. Not that happy. Yeah, I wanted to actually ask you about that. You mentioned earlier pain. You said like you know you can you can can sense the pain sometimes in the vocalist. Do you find it easier to write from a source of like sorrow than joy? Well, that's a good question. It's a really good question because I'm being challenged with that very thing at the moment. I wrote a song about my mom and it's the hardest song I have to write and I keep coming back to it and some songs I would just spit out the lyrics and the melody and the whole song is done it really sometimes surprises even me and some songs just beat the crap out of me and this particular one is doing that the one about my mom because you'd think I would have just an endless amount of things to say to describe her or to talk about her or to just it's I'm finding it super challenging and I think it's because I have so many things to say I can't really organize my thoughts it's really challenging so yeah that sometimes it's super super hard your musical collaborator who writes the songs with you and also your producer I was mm -hmm. hoping you could tell us about Neil Jason I don't really like to share this with anybody, and he's actually my husband. <laughs> I had a guess, but... <laughs> it's not anything new to anybody at this point, and I don't know why I'm keeping it private. Yes, he is my husband. I mean, I was really, really blessed. It's hard enough to be blessed on a romantic level, but then to be blessed with a creative partner as well is a miracle. It's truly a miracle. Mm-hmm. He's just the best creative partner any girl could ever ask for, or person, and he's the best husband any girl could ever ask for. Not to get hokey, but... So what did you want to know about him? Oh, Besides I... <laughs> I was kind of wondering, from just a creative standpoint, what collaborating with Neil Jason is like? Well, he comes from his own legend. He's he's his own legend, you know? he's I don't know if you know who he is or what he's done. He's a very renowned bass player. Slash producer, slash composer slash jingle writer. He's done hundreds and hundreds of television commercials and movie scores. and But he's really, really known for his bass playing because I guess, you know, you don't get credits on the TV when there's commercials. He brings to the table a hell of a lot of history 
and creativity, obviously, and he's a fantastic teacher. And it really is challenging for me to be in the same room with him sometimes because we're both creative people and we're both very stubborn. And I have to learn how to take a back seat and just, you know, adhere to some of his comments, advice, teachings, etc. And I have no patience because I'm extremely ADD. So it could be challenging sometimes, but thank goodness that uh, I uh, step aside and, and let him teach me and absorb it because he's fantastic at what he does. And it would be foolish to not really just shut the F up and, <laughs> and learn. When you were recording the album, Make Room For Me, was that your first experience in a recording studio or were there other experiences? No, I, I've been living in the recording studio for a very long time. I'm a studio rat. I've done a lot of television commercials. I've sang on a lot of jingles in New York, and I've written a lot of music for, for movies and television, and I've written for other artists. I have a song that I wrote for Russell Watson, who's a very well-known opera, pop opera singer in the U.K. I wrote him a song, and he recorded it with like an 80-piece orchestra. It's called Tutto Se Per Me. It's in Italian, and I wrote it in English, and so I I do a lot of that. So I'm not new to the studio at all. It's pretty it's pretty uh it's pretty comfortable for me. It's comfortable. Is it is it an enjoyable? Do you get a a buzz from working in the studio? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> the same buzz I get when I'm working in the kitchen because I'm a I'm a maniac cook. It's the same thing. It's just you know I get to tap into my creative self. I get to be around creative people. I get to learn. I get to try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And the outcome is always, we hope, wonderful. And everybody's happy. I mean, what's not to love? What about performing? What kind of experience is that for you when you're performing in front of people? It's really fun. It's really, really fun because you get to... um you get to feel the energy of the room. You get to see people singing your songs. You get to, it's extremely rewarding. I haven't done enough of it. I'm really, um, I've gone from recording, writing one, one, it's really, really uh, hard when you write your own stuff because, and it takes, it's such a lengthy process. It's not like I could say, I want to do an album of covers, go in the studio and sing standards. I'd get all the musicians together. We could probably cut it in a week. You know what I mean? And then go out on the road and perform them. When you write your own music, it's such a lengthy process, i.e. the arrangements have to be done, the, the lyrics, the melody, you have to get the musicians all together, everybody's got to be in sync and on schedule, some people are on tour, you got to wait till you, they get back if you want those particular guys. It's endless. Like, I mean, so I haven't gone out enough, and I'm really, really focusing on getting those songs recorded, getting those songs written, and then let the world hear it, and then I'll go out, you know? That's really my, my thing. If you can get those songs recorded, there's always, could always play at the local bar or the local wherever. It's always there. But the magic and the real priority for me is getting those songs written, getting those songs recorded, and, and letting the universe hear them. On your second album, L'Amour, there's the French version, and then there's the English version. Mm-hmm. And that That's really cool. I did that on Make Room for Me also. Yeah. Make, yeah. You have no problem in singing in French. No, because French is my second language. I grew up in a French household, 
right? My parents were from Casablanca, so it's, it's actually a first language in my household. So I do that, and I've done that now. I've done it on Make Room for Me, and I've done that on L'Amour, and I'm going to be doing it on my next CD also. It's almost, it, it's not almost, it's an homage to my parents, and it's to honor them, and and my upbringing, and, and my relatives, and also my fans. I think they enjoy that. They're getting used to that now. They're expecting it. Do you have a lot of people who are fans of yours that are from France or from other parts of the world? Or have you found you've been able to reach an international audience? That's funny you should say that because just yesterday I reached 52,000 fans on Facebook. And I was kind of blown away by that. I was so honored by that. And I, I asked them, I, you know, I asked the fans, I said, it's really fantastic that you guys are all here. I'd love to hear where you're from. And you're, they're telling me, they're telling me Italy here, Iowa here, Florida here, Spain here, Brazil here, Israel, Morocco, Japan. And so they're, they're from all over the world. And I'm so honored by that because that's the great thing about the Internet. I'd have to tour all year to reach these people. You know what I mean? I'd have to tour every country to reach someone in Japan, to reach somebody in Israel, to reach somebody in Florida, to reach them. So the Internet just makes allows us to do that. It enables us to get those ears to hear our music. It is incredible. Pretty incredible. Thank God for this new technology. I want to ask about the song, I Just Love You, and it features Randy Brecker on there. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the inspiration for that song. You know, Paul, some songs come out just because I just said something. I was saying something I called that particular song. I don't like to really reveal too much of my song secrets or why I wrote them. You know, I like to leave it up to the audience. Right. But I was speaking to a, a person and I called and they said, hey, you know, what's up? And I just called to say I love you. That's all. You know? I see. And the song was born. So that's how most some of my songs happen. So that particular song was born because of that very thing. I just wanted to say I love you to someone, and I had no other reason to call them. They were kind of blown away by it that I just called to say I love you. And I wrote that song. And Randy is always a first choice for me because I adore him as a person, and I adore his playing, like most people in the world who know him. and Many, many people know him, obviously. He's a legend. I thought that was a perfect marriage for that particular song, as well as See You Again. I thought, I always, I thought of Randy for that song. In addition to Randy Brecker, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really, really incredible, incredible artists that appear on your albums. What was Tom Bones Malone like to work with? He is such a sweet man. He's such a wonderful man. He's, I mean, obviously beyond talented. He arranged my song, Las Vegas. He played all the horns on it. I mean, he's brilliant and just the sweetest man in the world. And I was blessed to have him work with me. There's quite a few of the artists from the CBS Orchestra, past and present, that have appeared. And... If people go on your website, BrigitteZari.com, there's a message on there, a video from Paul Schaefer, where he talks about being a fan of your work. How did that feel when, when Paul was saying that he was such a, a lover of your recordings? Humbling. I had to look behind me to see talking about me. <laughs> you know, he works with celebrities. He sees celebrities all day long, and he has, I don't think he's ever done that for anyone. So, I was so blown away by that, 
he has many friends that are talented. He has many friends who sing. He has many friends who play. He has many friends. And the fact that he did that for little old me, and I mean that in the humblest way, was huge. Just huge. I mean, to think he really, really digs my music to that extent that he would want to, you know, he called Neil and he said, I love this stuff. I, you know, anything I could do to help. I really love her voice. And he was really, really digging the music. And I was like, wow, he likes it that much. So to touch someone like Paul, that he would go and do something like that is so humbling. It's really humbling. That's, that's really the only word I could use. And an honor. Huge oh, yeah. honor. The songs that you wrote, there's so many of them, but then something that's really interesting. You mentioned earlier that you felt like Johnny Cash was an influence and Mm -hmm. people would definitely listen to your music and think about, as you mentioned, Cole Porter and some of these others from the American Songbook. But But, why Johnny Cash? But the the Johnny Cash cover that you did, I Walk the Line, that was really interesting. How did you get the idea to do that? That's a long story. I'll try and give it to you short. The Johnny Cash thing, I know it's from left field and a lot of people are scratching their head and like, how the heck did that happen? My mom, I've told this story before, my mom, do you know the movie, obviously, the Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix movie? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, you know, the Walk the Line movie with Johnny Cash, the Johnny Cash film. So my mother would come and stay with me and stay with my sister in Florida and stay with my family, wherever she would travel to visit us. And anytime that movie was on, she would make us all sit down and watch it. So it was a joke among us siblings that we would say, did mommy make you watch the Johnny cash walk the line movie again? Like, (laughs) yep. So (laughs) it was like, mom, really? We just saw this like yesterday. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love this song, Walk the Line. I love this song. She had this gorgeous, adorable French accent. I love this song, Walk the Line. It's my favorite song. And I'm like, oh, my God. But you loved it yesterday and the day before and the day. (laughs) So we would all have to park ourselves next to her and watch the movie. I mean, we adore the movie and it made a huge impact on, on, on me. But come on, every day. So I wanted to surprise my mother and record Walk the Line. I thought it would be really cool if I could give that to her as a gift. And I thought she would really dig it. And during the recording process, my mother passed away. So she didn't get to hear it. So that's that with that song. That's the story. Hmm. What is the best thing about being Brigitte Sari? Oh, it's a pain in the ass. (laughs) Is it? It really is, Paul. It's a pain in the ass. I have so many personalities. I have so many moods I need to address. I'm extremely OCD. I'm extremely picky and anal about music. And It's not hot. It's not great. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. It could be extremely challenging. And I could be very, very, very dark. And I'll be bawling my head off trying to write a song that moves me and then I could switch off and be happy and basically I'm, you know, a bit of a fruit loop. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'm on the couch. <laughs> People have said that to me before. Yeah. I've never been on the couch, by the way. Maybe that's why I'm writing so many songs. I haven't really spoken to anybody about all my uh, little eccentricities. We all have them. <laughs> yeah. So when somebody listens to your music, what do you want people to get from the experience of listening? They tell me. 
I don't know. Sometimes I don't think like that. I think that I'm moved by something that I just wrote. I don't think, boy, I hope they're going to like it. That's not how I work. That's not how I do my, my, that's not how I'm controlled in my music. My music doesn't control me that way. It's just, I put it out there and then they tell me, they say, you know, I just got a message from a woman who's thanking me and saying that she's going to use my song Celebrate as her wedding. And then I got somebody who told me, you know, they, they had a, a loss and they were thinking about see you again, listening to see you again. And then I had somebody tell me they got married to happiest day of my life. And I had somebody tell me about the song. I love Las Vegas. They drive in Vegas listening. So they tell me and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. You don't really know how it's going to touch somebody. You know what I mean? You, you just don't. You just hope that it does. We do music really for ourselves first. At least I do. It's the only way that I can get through my meditating, my venting, my praying is through my music. So I do it for me first. And then, gee, look, the world is listening. You know what I mean? And I'm like, wow, cool. Okay, that's so cool. Who would have thought? I write music in the kitchen sometimes, Paul, over the, a stew that I'm stirring. I write when I'm cleaning and vacuuming. It comes in my head. I write when I'm driving. So to think that the song that I wrote over stirring a pot of stew is now being touched and heard in various parts of the world is really nuts. Just nuts. Well, on that note, you mentioned earlier you have 52,000 people following you on Facebook, but you really you can't count how many people around the world have been touched by your music. So, so. on that note, you have this opportunity here for anyone who's listening to this, wherever they are in the world, what would you say to them? The only thing that continues to inspire me, and I hope will continue to inspire me, to continue to give me strength to want to continue and go on, is the fans. It's challenging to be a jazz artist today, is my point. And the only inspiration that jazz artists have is the honor and the respect they have for themselves to want to continue to keep going because they love the music and they just love the art like I do and the, the fans that give us strength to continue. So the encouragement comes from self and our souls and what we're destined to do and what we love to do as artists and the encouragement comes from fans. So I hope that the fans continue to encourage us jazz artists to want to do the next CD and to want to do the next CD and to continue and continue and continue. I just hope that the people that the artists are still allowed to be artists and just continue to do their art because thank you, God, for all the great artists we've had in our history that have enabled me and every other artist to continue and to do what they love, right? What you just said, and first of all, what a great answer. But what I was going to ask you, you. what do you, Brigitte Sari, what do you think the role of an artist is? Is to let people know that they could be free to create to or teach people to create to be expressive to love to to feel to be romantic passionate right. to be passionate you know i'm a passionate person and if i'm mad then i'll write about it i mean if you want to throw a plate <laughs> <laughs> every now and again at somebody love or don't love, then please throw the plate. But it's self, what, what I'm trying to say, Paul, is self-expression should be allowed. And self-expression through art is the greatest form. And to be touched, 
I've been touched by art. You've been touched by art. Definitely. So, so that's our responsibility. If we could touch people, if we can move people, if we can make them cry, if we can make them happy, if we can make them feel something they, they didn't think they felt before, then, then I've done my job. My last question. Okay. Who is Brigitte Zari? I'm still learning. I really am. I'm still learning. She's a daughter. She's an artist. Who am I as an artist or as a person? I would say both. I'm super loyal. I'm not going to start stroking myself here, but I'm just really, really, I'm an all-around creative person, I think. I think I'm I'm an all-encompassing creative person. I don't have any other talents. I really don't. You couldn't get me to count to 12. (laughs) (laughs) My talents are really creative. I'm a creative soul. I'm a super sensitive being, and I think that shows in my art. And I just want to continue on this journey of making music with the help of my fans because they're so encouraging. And that's really who I am. I'm just a creative soul. I don't like any kind of violence, again. I don't like any kind of tension, negativity. I like to be around positive people, positive energy. I like to spread positive vibes and stuff like that. I'm a cooking maniac. Coming out with a cookbook, by the way. Oh, yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's really who I am. On another note, I saw that you interviewed Frank Sinatra Jr. I did indeed. Wow, what was that like? Let me turn the tables. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the greatest joys that I have ever had as an interviewer. And he has no idea how interesting and how talented and how inspiring he is. He really, really is I hope he doesn't mind that I say this, but he's very hard on himself. Too hard. I had loved speaking to Mr. Sinatra. It was great. Wow, I'm sure. Can you imagine being from that family? Your father's Frank Sinatra? I'm sure it's a blessing and a curse. It seemed like the way he looked at it, it does absolutely no good to... I'm not speaking for him, but I think his perspective is like, what can I do about it? At the end of the day, it's good and it's bad, but, you know, I'm just going to live my life. Yeah, it's a heavy load. It's got to be a heavy load, even you know, good and bad, but still tremendous honor and a blessing, I think. Oh, yeah. Have you interviewed anybody that anybody else that I've heard of? I, I, I just saw that. There have been, I mean, it's been hundreds of them. Maya Angelou was very interesting. She's just, wow. Woody Allen. Was, really? Yeah, that was a good one. When did you interview him? This was a few years back now. I think this was in 2008, and I mainly spoke to him about his love of jazz, his music. How did that come to be where you interviewed Woody Allen? I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I knew when I started reading about Woody Allen. I thought in this ex- in the exact moment that I started to read about him, I thought, I will interview Woody Allen, I have no doubt. And I did. <laughs> I did, and... When the interview was going on, I thought he was kind of dismissive, and I think it's just that he's a bit of a shy person. But then, I think most artists are. Yeah. And, and so I kind of thought, like, oh, he, he didn't think much of the interview. But then his musical director said to me, hey, he thought you did an amazing job. You asked great questions. And I thought, really? Woody Allen said that about me? <laughs> but, oh, and... Almost all of the artists in the CBS orchestra, except for Paul, which has been a dream of mine. But 
Oh. But there have been so many. I mean, so many. It's every single one I've learned something great from. Any jazz artists that I've heard of? Oh, boy. Yeah. Larry Carlton was okay. one. A uh, great, great pleasure. Cap Mangione, piano player. And let's see. Freddie Cole, great singer, pianist, brother of Nat. That was That's cool. crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, there have been so many. I mean, it's 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 been a blessing to do. So, are you? Do you like jazz, or are you just? I've turned the tables on you. You have noticed that. I, you? This is kind of exciting. Yeah, I do love jazz. I feel like it's the. I just feel like it's just pure art. I don't even know if that makes any sense. But yes, I love jazz. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a young guy, but there's just something extremely touching when I hear jazz music. I feel like it's it's the the music of the heart, I guess. It really is. Yeah, I do. I love jazz. I mean, I have a, a soft spot for the American songbook. I love the classics, but I also think it's really cool. Like, I love talking to songwriters, too. Oh, I will tell you one that I always like to talk about. He just passed away. Irvin Drake, who wrote It Was a Very Good Year. And oh, wow. Good Morning Heartache. I interviewed him. That was that was a great, great joy. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. I can't believe it. That's great. Can you imagine writing Good Morning Heartache? And <laughs> and it was a very good year. And did you ask him why he wrote Good Morning Heartache? And it was a very good year? Yes, it's interesting. Because Mr. Drake just passed away. I know. He wrote, I believe, Good Morning Heartache about a girl named Edith Drake, who he was dating, and she was a very pretty woman, and she said basically to him, like, hey, I'm very young. I don't want to be tied down. Like, you know, it's been nice dating you, but I, I'm i still so young, and I, I want to see the world, and she broke up with him. Mm-hmm. And he wrote those songs. I think both, if maybe it was a very good year, was written about her, too, or inspired in part, but... Then he ended up getting back together with her, and they were married. And when I interviewed him, they kind of... I was supposed to just interview him, but I ended up interviewing both of them. Wow. So he got the girl in the end. (laughs) But you see, Paul, that's the great thing about life's experiences and being a songwriter. Because what would we do without these experiences? And you can't shy away from them, you know? It's scary that they're there and they come. Like, Losing My Mother probably gave me my whole next album, Mm. you know, and all the songs that I've done, it's because of experiences. And if he didn't have that experience with the girl, he wouldn't have had the broken heart to write about Good Morning Heartache if he didn't have, you know what I mean? So you have to live to get these songs out, and it's really important. And the world would have never had that song. If he didn't have the breakup with the girl. Right, right. But, you know, a lot of people break up with girls and they don't come out in songs. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, <laughs> so obviously it was a destiny, it was destiny for him. Right. But you have to tap into your destiny and it doesn't always happen for everyone. You know, you gotta be able to, uh, to find your voice and to find your, live out your destiny. And I'm really, really blessed that I'm able to Every time I record music and I get to be around the guys and I get to write and I get to have my music heard, it's just so much of a miracle. And I can't wait for my next CD to come out. I'm already 
so antsy. Do you have a title for the next CD? I do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if if I want to say it yet. Okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I do. And we already have the songs, and we're just... We're in the middle of arrangements, and now we're, we might go in the studio and record all three, at least three, and do a video for it. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Great. Did you get to catch my video on YouTube of Good to Be Home? Not yet, but I definitely will. Well, because we'll be doing that again. Oh, I see. Thank you very much for sharing with us, and I have never been interviewed when I was interviewing <laughs> someone else. That was kind of cool. I liked it. (laughs) Okay, Paul. My pleasure. It was a joy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.